I wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mowed the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to 2 Deep, Pokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. It's time for the season preview, Robbie. Uh, we didn't do that much podcasting this offseason, but this is why we're here. We like to preview and recap the games and the season, and I'm ready to go, man. How you feeling? I'm good. Let's, uh, I'm ready to preview this thing. I'm, I'm pumped. I got, um, I got all my, my tickets listed because I can't make it to a single game now, so all of my tickets are officially up on uh, StubHub, so uh, that sucks uh, for this. This is the first <laughs> that year. does suck. Man. Yeah, that that does. Uh, that sucks pretty bad. This is the first year in a long time I haven't been to a Virginia Tech game. It's just we couldn't fit it in. We have a bunch of stuff going on on all the weekends. It was just a, it was a nightmare trying to schedule something in. We couldn't make it, but I am pumped for the season and ready to uh, get this uh, this preview kicked off. Yeah, dude, I I do feel like a year and a half out of the pandemic or whatever, like. We're stacked with events too. I'm I'm hoping to get down to West Virginia, but I don't know if I can do it. And it's just like something every weekend, all summer long too. It's been it's been crazy. But anyway, give us a cheers. Get this thing going. Cheers to I'm going to count this as the official beginning of the Brent Pry era. Is uh, now that we're getting the season going. I love everything that I've been hearing. I love the excitement. I love the renewed focus on a lot of the areas that we've been complaining about or uh, bringing up on the podcast for a long time with regard to media access, access to the program, focus on the fans. I think there's a, a big push on all of those sorts of things, not to mention just a renewed energy and and, and grit, if you may say, on, uh, amongst the team. That no, you may not say <laughs> All right, I won't say that. Um, but uh, no, I, I think... Uh, I'm 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 excited. So I think we need to do a big cheers to the new head coach that's going to be leading us into the season that's kicking off here shortly. Yes, cheers. <clears throat> I'm drinking a very interesting beer. I can't wait to talk about it a little little bit later. Um but that had a little bit of a sour taste to it. <laughs> kind of <laughs> caught me off guard. Oh, man, let's jump into these news and notes. We're going to start with some camp notes, and we're going to fire right into the season preview quickly here because we're recording this. We're recording our ODU preview, which I'll post later next week, but you'll be getting the season preview Thursday. So uh, you'll be hearing this on Thursday. Camp notes. The captains were named. We got Grant Wells, Dax Hollifield, Caleb Smith, Silas Janzi, <laughs> Chamari Connor, Norrell Pollard, and Peter Moore. 
That is seven captains if you were counting. You just got to cover all the positions, I think. <laughs> so I think this makes it so every every meeting room there has a captain in it. So yeah, special just teams. Just about. I think they yeah. missed running back, but it's pretty darn close. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if Grant Wells runs the ball at all, then, you know, we'll have that covered as well. So we'll, we'll For be sure. Good. I do take it as a good sign that Grant Wells, coming in as a transfer, was named a captain. Uh, maybe it could be looked at as a courtesy, like, hey, you're a leader now, you should lead. But I still think he didn't have to do it, and he's a captain, and that's a good sign. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and Peter Moore being a captain is just so great. Kind of a maybe a hat tip to Beamer Ball. We got a special teamer on uh, <laughs> on the captain list. Peter Moore has been working on his hang time for those that follow, uh, you know, the athletic and and what Andy Bitter is reporting. The hang time is it has increased, and we love our punters. That's right. We've had some good ones. Um, next up, Grant Wells named the starter. I kind of killed the headline there, but yes, he was <laughs> named the starter, named a captain, all of the above. Very complimentary words from Brad Glenn and Brent Pry, but we will get to that in a little bit. We all knew it was going to happen, but it officially happened in between our last recording and today. Dallin Wright, unfortunately, is out for the year. The young wide receiver was seen on Instagram post-surgery, and he's going to miss the year. I don't know what the injury is, but uh, it's a shame because he was one of the younger guys that was getting some praise, and we were hoping that he was going to have a good year for us. But get better soon, Dallin. Malachi, going to miss the first few weeks, it seems like. He's listed as week to week. I don't think he's playing ODU. The rumor mill's saying hopefully he's back by West Virginia. Yeah, I. Th- there's no reason to play. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm really <laughs> hoping that there's no reason that he needs to be playing against ODU. So, um, yeah, I I would hope he gets better very very quickly. We could use him for definitely for the WVU game. But uh, he has. We got Holston, who also is a little bit banged up. It sounds like, and uh, yeah, I, he's I, missing a couple practices now. It seems. Um, don't know what's going on with Holston, but it doesn't seem nearly as serious or something that'll keep him out of ODU for now. I saw Kelly Lawson is going to be out a week or two. He's one of the backup linebackers. Jaden Blue has been dealing with an ankle, but he was back at practice today, so that was some good news. And Benji Gosnell's done for the year, backup tight end, freshman tight end. Um, and then Matt Johnson, a linebacker, backup, also done for the year. Those both came out today. So that was some bad news. On the fun front, Pry canceled practice last Thursday, and they had a lake day, and it led to a lot of fun pictures, and it looks like the guys were having some good times. Um, I will say, and this is a weird thing to think as I was looking through those pictures, but I was thinking um, Dax's diet might not be going as well as it could be. Well, now you've just outed him on the podcast, so... uh... I'm just kidding. I mean, it's hard to tell anything for the pictures. I was kind of using that to make a joke, but he didn't look like super svelte or anything. Yeah. So it, there, there may have been some, uh, like in the investing world, there might be some alpha there that we uh, have given away on, uh, on Dax and what's happening with his nutrition program. And so, uh, don't don't go back and look at those those photos and uh, maybe he just had a big lunch. Yes, maybe that's which what is possible. Um, and if it's good food, then everything's everything's copacetic. It's all fine. So the a lot of the previews have been coming out. We're going to get into the preseason ranks from the various media sources. But Stu Mandel's always a 
a big name in the college football reporting industry, and he put out his projection for the Hokies. Uh, something fun to talk about each year. He has a set five and seven, and a lowly two and six in the ACC. Picked fifth in the Coastal, but that means he only thinks that we're beating Duke and Georgia Tech. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I ran the same math you did. So he has us beating. ODU, Wofford, Liberty, Georgia Tech, and Duke are the five wins that he has us getting. I don't. That's, would you be? That's would you be bad. feel pretty good about the season if that? Well, yeah. That, I mean, let me let me say it this way. Let me flip that on its head. Sure. He does not have us pulling off a win out of the group: BC, UNC, WVU, Pitt, Miami, NC State. And UVA, not a single win out of, not an accidental win out of, and that seems impossible, right? Like we got to win one of those games, Mm -hmm. but on the flip side, we could lose the Liberty game, we could lose the ODU game, and so I projecting the exact wins and losses is tough. But he thinks we're going five and seven. That would be disappointing, just based on those five games alone. Like I really think we should win those five games. Those teams are not very good. Yes, and so. You're telling me we can't get one more win, two more wins, get to a bowl? I think we can, but we'll get to our record predictions later. He picked Pitt to win the division mm-hmm. was how uh, that played out. Not That wasn't a super popular pick. Miami has far and away been the heavy favorite in most of the media's eyes to win the Coastal. Me and you will give our odds for the Hokies to win the Coastal later in the podcast and our pick for the Coastal later in the podcast. The AP poll also came out in the last two weeks, Robbie. Pretty much the same in the top. It was Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, and then Clemson at four, NC State at 13, Miami at 16, Pitt at 17, and then Wake Forest was a little bit lower than the coaches poll, maybe because of that Sam Hartman news, but Wake is at 22. We also had UNC in the receiving votes, but the Hokies did not receive a vote as we would have anticipated. Yeah, this is just in general on AP poll. I didn't just stick with the ACC. I thought... Clemson at number four is interesting to me. That seems really low um, for like them. Too, like too good? Too like good. low as in yes. too good? For, I've, okay. I've finally gotten this down through. I listened to a lot of podcasts and how they talked about it, and I think everybody is moving to the same nomenclature. Low is the low number. So that is, uh-huh. they are, they are, that would be low. The lowest is number one in the country. <laughs> right, How's that? Right. So low is good, like golf. Yes, yes. that's right. Uh, so, that seems low to me. I was juiced up to see Utah at number seven because and um, and Baylor at number ten because of the day and age that we are in college football has gotten so boring at the top. I love seeing a new fresh name. I don't think you you can't help but get behind the Utah Utes, right? And yeah, uh, I love Whittingham and yeah, their whole what they're all about. It's like an old VT team. That's exactly right. So I thought that was interesting. I thought. Miami at 16 still rubs me the wrong way. I think I would have Pitt ahead of them, but whatever. It's it's yeah. just it's it's the name at this point. It always has now been. Clemson is interesting at four just because Ohio State and Bama do seem a little bit in the in a class of their own this year. I know Georgia just won the title, but they lost so much mm-hmm. that I think there's going to be a drop off for UGA. But Clemson, on the other hand. Didn't lose much at all. Right. They had their fewest draft picks since 2008. That That's like just two guys got drafted from Clemson. They are absolutely loaded with talent, maybe more talented according to four and five stars than they've ever been. But they have major question marks 
on offense at quarterback. And so, yeah, four might be too good of a ranking for them. Uh, But I still think they're the favorite in the Atlantic. NC State's going to make a run at it. We'll see what happens. But but a lot of ACC teams in the top 25, which is good for the conference. Preseason ranks for the Hokies. In Athlon, which is one of my favorites, I know it's one of your favorites, we are number 66. The FBI, FPI had us a little bit lower at 73. CBS Sports was the highest of just about anywhere I looked, 52. Sagarin was 54. And the projected SP Plus was 61. So everything's you know, between 52 and 73. So right, at, right in the middle of that 130 teams is where we are projected. If you're comparing it to... Last season, I think our SP plus was quite a bit better going into last year. Yeah, uh, definitely was. Just because we were coming off a 27. Like when we finished the year in 2020, we were 27th in the SP plus, even with our five and six record. We had clearly lost some close games, and Cleo Herbert was awesome, and our offense was ranked number 20 in the SP plus at the end of 2020. So that gave us a little boost. We all knew, at least the people who follow the program closely, knew offense was going to be rough last year and it was we finished 70th in the sp plus so bill's projection actually moved us up a little bit from last year uh at the end of the year and put but it did put our offense at 90th and i think some of that's the residual of the braxton burmeister you know not being able to pass the ball offense yeah and however he can try and factor in what grant wells you know and I don't even know that probably wouldn't even take into account who they, yeah, you know, who I don't know quarterback. how he does that. So, and it's a transfer. I think he's had a lot of difficulty. He says he's trying to, or has integrated uh, transfers into his stats, but that's gotta be, that's gotta be difficult. That, that math has to get a little fuzzy at some point. For sure. But the returning production rank, we came in at 69th. Nice. So again, right in the middle of FBS in terms of what we're bringing back, but no one's that high on the Hokies. Like I, based on these projections, no one's picking us to go eight and four. Like that is that's out of the realm of possibility based on these projections. I'm not saying no pundit has picked that, but on the macro scale, when you look at the stats, it doesn't seem as if we would be able to go eight and four, which is disappointing. Um, but I think it's a bowl team. Like it, it, it pretty much projects as a bowl team if you look at these. Yeah, and if. If uh, college football is moving to just 60 teams the way, you know, Bud Elliott thinks at some point we're on the bubble. So it's probably time for us to, you know, assert ourselves a little bit, uh, a little bit lower than that into uh, the world (laughs) of college football. But I say that jokingly, but also serious. Uh, Yeah, it's not. Hopefully we are ending on a, a much higher ranking than than what people have us going into the season at. I think that this. Going into this year, according to the SP Plus, I think it's the lowest SP Plus in like 15 years, or like in a really long time. Like I, I, think, so. I think it's lower than 2020. I think it's lower than 2021. Like I think it's it's pretty darn low. Because he's also the issue. It's not even just what's happened on the field. It's also and then losing a bunch of guys. You know, some key players to the draft. He's also factoring the recruiting classes. So right. that is not helping at all so that's going into his stats on what the production is going to be and what how he factors in recruiting which it's it's not a immensely heavily weighted from my understanding but it definitely factors in 
I wrote down some of the biggest storylines for 2022, and you can see if you agree with these or wanted to word them in a different way. But I think the biggest one is it being Brent Pry's debut season, that it's a storyline in itself. But can he get us back on track? Can he bring back not Beamer Ball, but the physicality, the toughness that was associated with Beamer Ball and get us out of this rut where we've had losing seasons three out of four years? Yeah. Like, that's that didn't happen for 25 years, and now we've had three out of four losing seasons. Uh, so that's the biggest one. Brent Pry, his debut. How, how What does he do for the culture of Virginia Tech? How good is Grant Wells I had as a storyline? Um, and can he kind of make our offense, you know, anything respectable this year? And piggybacking on the Pry thing is, can he get the defense right? Because the defense last year was worse than 2020 in a lot of metrics, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. Only one worse was 2018 when we had that just dreadful defense. But it wasn't good last year. It was it was pretty bad. So can he bring the defense back and get them back to where they're supposed to be? And finally, the last storyline I had, I had was, can our depth hold up throughout the year? Because if it does, we could have a nice little season. But if we start losing guys, it could it could turn ugly quick. Yeah, I, I agree with all those as, as talking narratives. One of the things I'm going to be really paying attention to is really, and some of, I know Liberty's towards the end of the season, but what are, what's the team look like in those games that we should be winning? Because that's been an issue for you know the whole Fuente era. With, uh, some of those games we Great lost, point, yeah. but... You know, when we go up against ODU, when we go up against Liberty, when we go up against Georgia Tech, when we go up against Duke, Wofford, hopefully that isn't really needed to even be brought but up. But think about I mean, Richmond last year. Yeah. So that, what are we doing? That was a terrible performance. Yeah. Are we, is this, is this the type of team that 10 years ago, you know, we, cur- we curb stomp people and ran it up to, you know, 48 points and then we just, you know, the game was over and it was just done? Or is this where we're, we're in the third quarter, like fighting out like a a seven nothing game again, or whatever the case may be, or a ten fourteen game, and we're all looking around like, what the hell is going on? Losing to Furman yeah. at the half, or whatever it was, Be- beating Richmond by eleven at home. Yeah, you know this. That's that's a great point by you because that's what needs to change. Expectations going into those games, not just trying to survive, but winning the damn game and putting a beating on a team that's worse than you. And that's what we're going to learn a lot about this team against ODU Mm -hmm. because while ODU is a solid program for how long they've existed and have upgraded and moved around and they're, they're good. I mean, they, they constantly have decent talent and they're a pain in the butt to play as we learned the hard way, but we are still the football university in the state. It, from a money standpoint, from just the quality of players we can still bring in, mm-hmm. it's far above pretty much anywhere else other than maybe UVA, but even against UVA, like we know the superiority we have over the last 20 years. So act like it. Yeah. Go out against ODU and whip some ass, and that's why we're, we're going to learn so much in that first game. Yep, I agree. So let's talk about the schedule. I have the Athlon rankings of the teams we're playing and it's it's interesting. ODU comes in at 97, hmm. which is 
that's not a good rank. I mean, there's 130 teams, so you do the math there. 97th for ODU. With us at 66, no, we're not that distance from them, but it's a 30-spot gap. Like, we should beat them by the 8.5 points, which is the spread. So maybe 10 points, maybe 14 points should be the expectation. You go to BC, they're 43. Wofford, you know, it's an FCS team. There's no ranking, but obviously we should whip their butt. WVU is ahead of us at 51. We got UNC at 47, Pitt 22, Miami 20. The highest team on the schedule is NC State, and that one's on the road. They're number 12 according to Athlon's rankings. GT 88, Duke 110. That's the worst team on the schedule. Duke is the worst team on the schedule. Not Liberty, not ODU, Duke. Liberty 73, and UVA is at 68, so just behind us. We play three top 25 teams. Um, and I, I will I will say this about Pitt being top 25. That was based on having Addison because mm-hmm. Athlon went to print with Addison. They were 22, so that's probably not quite a top 25 team at this point. But five of the teams we play are in the lower half of FBS, and three are at 88 and higher in terms of their number. So it's a very manageable schedule overall. Uh that NC State game is going to be fun, man. Yeah, it's on the road and it scares me, but damn, that play's going to be fired up. I would love to go to that game. I've always said I wanted to go to a game in Raleigh. I don't know if I can make it this year, but man, that's going to be a lot of fun. Thursday night, Thursday night game, yeah, in Raleigh, that would be a blast. That's going to be a good game. Yeah, this, that's what when I went through and we'll get to our picks. I went through the schedule a few different times just to figure out what my wins and losses were going to be and kind of counted them differently and was trying to you know figure out where we might take an L I wasn't expecting or might get a W we weren't and that's what I came with just like we have a manageable schedule like this there are people out there with much worse uh that they have to deal with in a down you know a down or a rebuilding Georgia year Tech than, yeah Georgia Tech <laughs> being one of them who's got like oh yeah one of the hardest schedules in the country so that is um I think it's good. It's a good setup, but it also starts to influence what your expectations are for a year one coach. And that makes it difficult because there's still a little bit of expectation because there is some softness to the schedule or manageability to the schedule that if you had a really difficult schedule, you'd be like, Hey, you know, first year is just complete rebuild, you know, restart. But this leaves the door open to, you know, potentially putting together something that doesn't doesn't look too too bad. I really think those three home games in September are massive. You, you've got Wofford, which you expect to win, but it's BC and WVU, and that, to me, those two classify as coin flip games. Mm-hmm. Because we get them both at home, even if pundits out there think those teams are a little bit better than us, we get them in lane. So comes down to a coin flip. If you were to win both of those games, your season takes on a totally different trajectory yeah if you win one that's probably what you would expect one Mm -hmm. but Stu mandel doesn't think that like so it it, even getting one of those games at home changes the trajectory for some people Mm -hmm. but if you're able to get through odu bc wofford maybe with three wins yeah you know that starts oh wait brent prize got this thing going you know you can see how it could quickly change yeah i i divided the schedule pretty easily and it it falls out that way just on paper on your eyes it fall it's a three-part act of this schedule you have the the beginning where you have 
two games that we should be winning, the BCWVU kind of coin flip, a very, very tough stretch when we go UNC, Pitt, Miami, NC State, culminating with that Thursday night game, kind of break again, and then you finish it off with Georgia Tech, who is struggling mightily, Duke, who is going to be bad this year, Liberty, that you should win, and then UVA, that we've had their number for for 20 years. So, like, it's very much a a three-part act of how this is going to transpire. And if you do well in that first part, those first four games, you have some room to suffer in that middle because nobody has any expect nobody has any really high expectation for that four game stretch of UNC, no. Pitt, Miami, and NC State. That's a tough stretch right there. Yeah, and everyone's expecting us really to lose the Pitt, Miami, and NC State games. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You kind of you want to build up that goodwill in those three home games that you get and against ODU earlier in the year because if you don't and you lose BC and you lose WVU and you're two and two going into UNC, Pitt, Miami, NC State, <laughs> that could that could turn into an ugly season real quick. Yep. Four night games on the schedule already. There could end up being more, but ODU's at night, BC's at night, WVU at home on Thursday. That's going to be awesome in lane. And then, as we already said, NC State on the road at night on a Thursday. Three of those are on national TV. Both ODU and Liberty are on the road, which is just so bizarre. <laughs> and I don't think either of us would have ever thought VT would be playing either of those teams on the road, let alone both in the same year. <laughs> both in the same year, both on the road, and to begin and end the season pretty much is what it is. The first game and the second to last game, it, it is... So bizarre looking with that on, on there. I was like, hey, well, we, we might as well be at Wofford as well. Let's just like, yeah. let's just make this a real Throw that outrageous, uh, outrageous schedule. So I think Andy Bitter pointed out like playing Liberty at Liberty right before you play UVA is just in late November just doesn't feel right. Like that should be Pitt. That should be Miami. That should be NC State. Should be somebody worthwhile in the ACC conference play. But it's Liberty. And, and it's I, a terrible time, an absolutely terrible time to be going on the road to play a Liberty team that would love to just right the shit out of you at home. Um, right Because this end. isn't, you know, you know how the SEC does that. Uh, mm-hmm. They put their FCS game sometimes in that last one before the rivalry game. Mm-hmm. Like, this is no FCS team. No. Like, they're, you, we know Liberty can beat us. They're solid. Yeah. <laughs> And they're going to be fired up as hell to have us in their house. We've never been there before. Yeah. Um, not not great. Not great <laughs> scheduling, wit, but that's okay. Uh, other thing I had to note was just the best QBs on the schedule. Jerkovic, Van Dyke, Devin Leary, Armstrong, even maybe Liberty, Charlie Brewer. Charlie Brewer, the brother of Michael Brewer, just named the starter at Liberty. So that's, that's some interesting storylines there, but... Jerkovic, Van Dyke, Leary, Armstrong, those are good QBs. And there's probably another one in there somewhere that's that's pretty solid too. But those are the those are the Slovis big Slovis at Pitt. That's <laughs> right. Pitt just named Slovis the starter. And and he he didn't have a bad career. I was actually seeing it as favorable that both Pitt and what was it, WVU hadn't named their two like stud transfers as starters. I was saying like maybe they're not doing that well. And then like a day later, Slovis got named. <laughs> Um, but they weren't just crowned as soon as they got to campus. Right. Like JT Daniels had to work for it and Slovis had to work for it, but two more 
you know, at least names and highly ranked QBs going into college. Yeah, I mean, they have reps, right? And they've been they they didn't come from they didn't transfer from Bush League programs. Like they got coached up, so they know they know what they're doing. Whether they can perform that way, we'll see. I also think those two might be linked just because the backyard brawl yes. is Thursday, right? And so mm-hmm. maybe the teams are playing coy with each other, like gamesmanship. We're not naming our starter till they name their starter. Yeah. Which <laughs> And hats hats off to them bringing back the uh, that uh, backyard brawl. That's a yeah, that's a good game. I can't wait. So that's that's a battery fight type type game. So that's good. Yeah, when you hate both the teams, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, <laughs> like we do. Uh, so this year for our position groups, we split up the positions, uh, kind of to kind of help our research and to help us speed through this a little bit better. Robbie took the running backs, the tight ends, the defensive line, and the DBs. I have the OL the wide receivers, the linebackers, and the special teams, and we both did our Grant Wells and backup quarterback research. As for starters, it seems that the only spots up for grabs still would be boundary corner, mm-hmm. left guard, and the will linebacker. Those are the only three that there's really a competition at right now. Right. But I was thinking we should start with the offense. Okay. How do you feel about that 90th in the SP plus? <laughs> do you think I personally think we can do a lot better than that? Yes. I think the potential's there. How do you feel? So one of my my good friends um that lives down the street with me, I just got back from Disney World. We went with his family uh there and he texted me and he was like, So Grant Wells is your is your starting quarterback? I just got told that and I I said, there's no way that that's true. So he's a Marshall fan. Uh, he went to Marshall. So, <laughs> so I got the inside scoop on Grant Wells. So I was like, yeah, he's he's our starting quarterback. Uh, I kind of like cut him off. I was like, yeah, I hear I hear picks are a bit of a problem with him. So we'll, we'll hopefully he he doesn't have an issue with that. His takeaway was, you know, at the beginning, he was like, this guy's going to be the, the next Chad Pennington. Like he was like that good after the first four games when he was a freshman. And then he would go like super cold, super hot, super cold, just up and down. His read on it was, you know, that he floats the ball a bit, and that led to a lot of lot of the picks. But he was saying how he nearly threw a chair through a window when they were playing that rice game, and he, he threw five <laughs> interceptions in the rice game. So, um, but in any case, that all said, uh, I feel good about Grant Wells based on. The commentary from the coaches went above and beyond what they needed to say about him in the offseason. Does that make sense? Because you can say, hey, he won the job. He did a great job. He worked hard. You know, he's got he's got great talent. But the fact that they hit on his accuracy and the ball placement, particularly ball placement downfield, gave me like they didn't have to say that. Like they did there was no there's no reason to like you know, put that out there unless you really thought it was true or really showed up in practice. And that's how you ended up winning the job. So that gives me a little bit of confidence um, there. So I think if he can can avoid the picks, I think that we have a chance to out vastly out. And vastly is moving up like more than 15 spots, more than 20 spots, something like yeah. that, than that number. Yeah, let's tear into Grant Wells just a little bit more here. So he he obviously came over from Marshall, but his dad went to VT, so that that's pretty cool. He had a link to the program, and he enrolled at Marshall in January of 2019. So this is not a super young man. He was a two year starter for them, 
but he was there a half a year early. So he's been in college football locker rooms for three full seasons already. Mm -hmm. So, and he's engaged too. So there's a maturity, at least a perceived maturity for this kid. (laughs) Um, And you are right on with the commentary because it has been effusive. (laughs) I I would, Mm -hmm. I would say like both from pry and from Brad Glenn, our quarterbacks coach, Glenn used the word phenomenal multiple times describing his off-season workout, both spring and fall work. Uh, these are some, this is a quote from Pry. He had an exceptional camp, very accurate, great ball placement, just makes plays, big body, really was much better at throwing football this camp, puts in the extra. He's very coachable, great student in the game. He's getting better all the time. I'm just so impressed with the ball he throws. It makes it tough on the defense. Then we had Glenn saying the thing about the accuracy, it's his number one asset is his deep ball accuracy. He called him the most accurate QB he's ever coached, uh, quote unquote, the total package, and that he's good at hanging in the pocket. And then when going on about the deep ball, he said, usually it's a good rule of thumb. You take like two or three deep shots a game. But with him, meaning Wells, it might be even more. So, and this is just a little bit of the comments we've heard out of these two guys. It has been way more than Fuente would ever compliment a quarterback. And I know Brent Pry's a new head coach, so maybe he doesn't know how to keep his cards close to the vest, particularly with offensive players because he's a defensive guy. But Glenn's been a quarterback coach and around offenses for a long time. And to hear him talk like this, a long-term 25-year head uh, quarterbacks coach, to say he's maybe the most accurate guy I've ever coached, that's something. I, I know he hasn't been at high-profile programs, but that is still something they don't need to say. All this stuff is stuff they don't need to say, and they're saying it. And maybe they felt Wells needs a little bit of a, a pump-up, like get him into that leadership role. Let's build up his confidence by complimenting him and that, things mm-hmm. like that. But I can't say I'm mad about it, right? <laughs> no, I, I thought it was it was great. I, I, it, I'm trying to not... Uh, fawn over the comments about him too much and just wait the, for the results to show up on the field. But it's definitely great feedback. And, and the fact that some of their key points were ones that are directly related to some of the challenges that he had at Marshall make me feel pretty good. Yeah. So in 2021, he threw for a 66% completion percentage, 3,500 yards, almost eight yards per attempt, 16 TDs, but unfortunately those 13 interceptions. 139 rating isn't super great. 56 rush yards, but seven rush TDs. So I don't know if they were using him in goal line packages or what, but that's a lot of rushing TDs. He can run, and we talked a little bit about that on our last podcast. He's mobile. He can move around in the pocket, and I think he'll be doing some read option type stuff in our offense. But as I said before, they ran an air raid at Marshall, and so – in this offense, one that we expect to be a little bit more run heavy, not nearly as many passing opportunities. Will the risk taking come down a little bit? His spots will be picked better. He'll get better play action opportunities and he'll be more efficient. That's the hope, right? Yeah, that. And I think, and this is another thing I mentioned to my buddy is I think his offensive line play should be better, especially given he's got, some experienced talent coming in on the offensive line, and we got Rudolph in there, who hopefully is going to, you know, coach these guys up and give him some uh, some pretty good pass protection. Then I I would expect he would have had, yeah, you know, they're going up against lesser talent, but they also, you know, feasibly have have a better offensive line at, at, 
Virginia Tech, especially better coached um, with with Rudolph coming in. So I think that also could help. And it's also going to depend on what we see from the running backs and how successful they are, how much they, and we'll get into them in a minute, but how much do people have to plan for the run in order to try and open up that pass game for them, I think is going to be another key part. And with regard to his accuracy, that's that's real. He was 21st in the country in completion percentage last year, and that's something that should translate. I know the windows get a little bit smaller in P5, but that should translate. He is an accurate thrower. It's verifiable. Um, but Marshall's O-line was pretty solid. Yeah. He didn't take a lot of sacks, and he wasn't blitzed nearly as much as Braxton Burmeister was blitzed last year. Everyone was blitzing us last year. Yeah. And so under pressure, just like every quarterback, he wasn't as accurate. He wasn't <laughs> as efficient. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how the transition goes, but the scheme at Marshall and the scheme last year for Virginia Tech are both vastly different from the scheme we're going to have this year. So it's a lot. there's a lot of unknown variables at play. Yeah. But the structure, the frame of this kid, his game, it's good. Mm-hmm. He's an accurate passer. He's got a nice deep ball. He's seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He likes to work. And so... I'm I'm optimistic. He's a captain. They made him a captain. They've been saying nothing but positive things about the kid. And every year you're in college, you should get a little bit better. So however good he was last year, he should be better next year. Um, he also threw a lot less picks down the stretch yeah. last year yep. than he did in the beginning and then he did his first year as a starter. So all of this is leaning towards improvement. If you're making the bear case for him, you could say he's mistake-prone. His worst game was the last game he played in the bowl game last year, mm-hmm. and our O-line won't be able to protect him adequately. And his QBR was was bad. It was 81 in the country. Um, and we don't have all these strong wide receivers. Yeah, that's another piece that uh, I'll let, I, thankfully you get to cover. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that It'll probably be a short segment. <laughs> but the bowl case is that he won't have to throw as much. Uh, like I said about play action, he'll be more efficient. He won't have to force things. And he's a fourth-year player ready to make a leap with P5 talent around him. Yeah. So that would be your bull case. And that's that's what I like. Yeah, just, <laughs> just stick with that. Stick with the other case. I like that. Um, I did note that with the 3,500 yards he had, do you know, I was looking up, like, how many times we've thrown for 3,000 yards in our history. Do you know how many times in a season that any one of our guys has thrown for 3,000 yards? Four times. Three times. it's oh, close. <laughs> Don Strock, Logan Thomas, and Gerard Evans. And the last three years in a row, we've our starting quarterback has been under two thousand yards passing. So it's uh it would be a welcome change if he throws for three thousand yards yes. this year. I I don't know if the scheme will allow it, but like I think he's good for twenty five hundred. Yeah, I do. and that would be a significant improvement from last year. And I think twenty seven to three thousand is probably the right range. Yeah, especially even if you're going run heavy this day and age in college football, you you've got to be <laughs> it's got to be higher than uh, at least uh, you know two G's. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The backups quickly. Jason Brown, he came in from South Carolina. He's loved VT his whole life, it seems like. And he had a chance to win the starting job. He beat Auburn. He beat Florida last year. A lot has been made out of that. But he's just not as good as Grant Wells in terms of his 
record on the field and what he was able to do in practice. So great backup, better backup than we've probably had in a few years. Uh, I guess since Hendon and Brex and Burmeister were playing together, but yeah. he might be a better quarterback than Burmeister. Who knows? Yeah. And then there's Bullock and Farrell. And I guess Blumrick in a pinch would be the emergency quarterback. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If Wells were to go down, I think Brown could win us a game or two, but it's not something long-term that would lead to bowl eligibility if he had to play the entire season, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the commentary on Brown was really good. It was just they were pretty honest about him you know, making a shot at it. He was starting to really improve at the end. It just wasn't enough for him to catch up to, to where Grant Wells was. So I thought the commentary on him was good. It was just... He didn't, he didn't get all the way there. Well, do you want to kick off the rest of the offense with the running backs? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll hit us next. So we hit on this a little bit earlier, but um, the starter, now I'm going to take this outside of probably just the ODU game and maybe the WVU game, which is everybody has Malachi and Thomas Thomas as you know, the, the starter with kind of a 1A, 1B. The 1B, obviously... Um, is Jalen Holston and what he's been on the team for, it feels like almost six years now, but I think this is his, uh, it might be a six six year. year. Yeah. So uh, exactly on the, he had 200 yards in 2017. That's incredible. (laughs) So yes, the sixth year hokey Jalen Holston is back up. Um, so Malachi is week to week. He's banged up. I don't think we see him against ODU. I hope that we see him against WVU, but once he is back, I, I think he is going to be the every down starter is my hope. I think Joel, Jalen Holston will share carries with him probably after, you know, the first quarter, maybe the first you know quarter and a half, he'll start to come in and spell uh, Thomas a little bit more. He brings a little bit more size. He's more of a kind of a power runner. Um, between the tackles, that sort of thing that we've seen the past couple of years uh, from him. So I feel good about both of those guys. Thomas, a little bit faster. Jalen Holston, kind of a bigger, um, more of a bruiser back is what he's shown in the past that can get an extra yard or two when he needs to. And um, it doesn't sound like it, any the the injury with Holston is anything meaningful. It's just he got dinged up a little bit. So he'll be back and, and he'll be healthy. And on on top of that, I think we still have a couple guys behind him. In in particular, somehow there's still buzz floating around the program about Keyshawn King and the the, the speedster. If uh, he he may not be the white light, lightning out there, but he is. Um, he has still made a lot of buzz. So I would expect to see Keyshawn King um, carry the ball. In particular, if Holston is going. In week one as the starting back, I would expect to see King on the field and maybe even to week two or, or week three, depending on how things go. I don't foresee this being a situation like we had uh, the past few years where we just had almost three backs that almost had equal playing time. They maybe didn't have as many carries each, but it was kind of one guy in. You know, They played a quarter and maybe a little bit more than a quarter and a half and then they swapped in the next guy and that's kind of you never saw him again yeah i'm with you on that one i hope that we get more consistency out of the backs because i don't think fuente or corn were ever good at keeping guys in rhythm and whatnot 
Keyshawn King's name has been popping up a ton. It's it's crazy. And they're even talking about him catching the ball, moving into slot, all kinds of different things. They The word explosive, his speed, all that kind of stuff. So I think King's going to play, especially in these first three games, if, if Malachi doesn't. And he might play a lot, and he might earn a spot to stay. But we've kind of seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. I was looking at my notes from last year going into the opener. And it was like, Keyshawn King's looking good. Keyshawn King's looking good. And then, like, he didn't do anything. Yes. So hopefully the fresh start with the new staff, it's real. And then he will be a factor in some way. I think Holston could be a very good back if given the chance. We saw it two years ago when he was playing with Khalil. Mm-hmm. There was a difference in the way he was carrying the football. Yeah. And this new scheme, if it's kind of a one-cut-and-go scheme, more like uh, – power than zone, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It could be better for him. Like it might suit him a lot better. So I, I'm optimistic on the running backs and we don't need nine. We don't need 11. Mm-hmm. Even if guys get hurt, that we have enough guys here, even with Malachi's injury to get through the season with our six guys. And so you could throw in other guys like black, maybe Cole Beck gets a few carries yeah. here or there. Bryce Duke. We'll see. But, uh, it's it's a it's a good group and I'm excited about the backs, man. Yeah, I think it looks it looks pretty good. But you're right, the, the the Keyshawn. I haven't checked his numbers. I don't know if Keyshawn King is put on. But the other thing about him that was always a fear, and you and I have talked about it, it's just his size. Like he didn't. He always looked lean out there, and yeah, I was always Skinny, worried about yeah. him getting dinged up. So I don't know if he's put on any weight, but hopefully he has. Um, and if he has, then I think that will. That may allow him to see the field a little bit more and give people a little bit more confidence that he can take a few hits and keep keep churning those feet and get some extra yards and those sorts of things. He's been around long enough at this point, and I, I saw when they had their picture day, like he he looks just as big as a handful of the other guys. He's not doesn't seem nearly as skinny as he was when he came in, yep. so that'll be good for him as well. Let's transition into offensive line to piggyback on those running backs. Joe Rudolph hire was the best hire of the offseason, other than Brent Pry himself. But it might have even been better than Brent Pry himself. It was a huge hire. Uh, still don't know how we got him, but it is it is awesome. And for an offensive line that lost a bunch of guys, we're missing Hoffman, we're missing Tenuto, we're missing Lasita Smith, we're missing Tyrell Smith, who was just a leader in that room. There's a lot to replace there. But with Silas coming back and Johnny Jordan coming back, they did us a huge favor because it gave us what seems to be solid starters, a solid starting five. And that has become clearer over fall camp, over the offseason. It looks like it's definitely going to be Silas at left tackle. we got Johnny Jordan at center, Caden Moore at right guard, and Clements at right tackle. I expect both Moore and Clements to have really nice seasons as they're in their second year fully starting. The only question mark is at left guard, and that's going to be is it Braylon Moore, the new true freshman, or is it Jesse Hansen, the kid that's been around for a long time and was a pretty solid recruit? The word and the rumor mill is spinning that Braylon Moore is looking really good. And Pry has said he's going to play. Like, he will take snaps against ODU. Mm-hmm. Maybe he won't start the game, but he might play half the game. He might play more than half the game. And that is really cool. It's unfortunate for Hansen, but... As Brian Siglia on Twitter pointed this out, it's like it raises your depth Mm -hmm. and it raises your ceiling because now you've got this kid who's this good this early. 
if he's this good after only playing fall camp, because keep in mind, he was on the defensive line in spring, then he might really have room to grow. And if Hanson was been in this program for a long time and your presumed starter, well, now your depth just got an extra piece. Yep. So it's good on all fronts to see this out of Braylon Moore. Well, and they're going to have, they're going to get to, yeah, I say fight it out, but they're they're going to get to fight it out on the field. It sounds like both of them are going to play, especially in that ODU game. So, one, they both have a chance to try and win that job over the course of probably the first two games. Yeah, we'll see what happens in WVU, but they're both going to see the field. So, I if it's that close, it doesn't sound like they've made a decision one way or the other. So, they're both going to get a shot on the field to really kind of prove who who's going to be the starter for the games after those, probably those first couple. As for Silas at left tackle, I know it's rock solid and he's been getting tons of accolades from the coaches and he had nice words to say about Joe Rudolph coming in, indicating that he's learned a lot and he probably has. And so I'm hoping that we see a new and improved Silas, but I, I wasn't ever sure he was going to be able to play left tackle because of his size, his, his movement ability and all that. So I am, I'm playing the waiting game on him. I'm I'm ready for him to perform. I'm ready to cuz he he has the stature to be a left tackle. Yeah. It's just a question of whether his technique and speed are good enough to play that position. It's a very challenging position. So, I'm I'm ready to see what Silas brings us against ODU and then as for the reserves, obviously it's going to be one of Hanson and Moore, but who else do we have? That's that's our problem on the offensive line is Where's the depth? If Silas goes down, if Clements goes down, who's playing tackle? Johnny Garrett's doing a pretty good job. He's a true freshman, but he is the one that they've kind of tapped as maybe the best of all of those freshmen. We brought in a ton of D linemen and offensive linemen uh, in the last recruiting class, but Garrett might be the best of all of them. And so he, I think, is going to play and play a lot. Chaplin's beginning a lot of talk, and I think he's the backup at left tackle. Bob Schick... Uh, to a lesser extent, Militech and Jack Hollifield on the inside would be the other pieces of depth. There's not a ton there, but the backstop of Joe Rudolph is what we're all counting on. Yes. Is yeah. It won't completely go to shit because we have Joe Rudolph, even if we sustain injuries. I think that's what makes me comfortable with the O-line. If just one more guy, Jack Hollifield, Garrett, Schick, Chaplin, any of them, surprise then I think we're going to be okay. Yep. Yeah, I think it's – what I'm hearing from you is uh, starters, we're pretty much good to go, if not have a, a couple spots where we have maybe uh, two two bodies ready to go. And yeah. it's really just filling out the depth on uh, there, and we should be in, in pretty good shape. All right, before we move to wide receiver and tight end, Robbie, let's take a quick beer break. What are you uh, What are you drinking over there, Pete? I'm drinking a Hardywood. I got this over the summer. It's called a Tropic Like It's Hot, which is a great name. The can is awesome. It's a, It's kind of like a rainbow can, and it was for Pride Month. So it is like a month or two old. doesn't taste any different, I don't think. But uh, sour ale, not my normal bag, but pr- passion fruit, pineapple, hibiscus, and blueberry. You know I like some fruit in my beer on occasion, especially in the summer. And even though I'm I'm not a sour guy, 6% alcohol, the little bit of tartness, it is very good. And if you are a sour fan at all, you're going to love this beer. 
I went to this beer store in Pennsylvania that had 500, 1,000 beer. It was insane. It's called Shangi's. It's out in like the middle of Pennsylvania, like Bethlehem or Emmaus or something like that. And most awesome beer store. If you're ever in PA, it's probably got the biggest selection in the state. But they had Hardywood, and this was there, and I grabbed it. But the Tropic Like It's Hot, all-star name, great beer. I would highly recommend this one. And brewed in support of Virginia Pride. So okay. it's good on all fronts. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of tart fruits that they uh, they included in there. So many fruits. Yeah, so that's uh, <laughs> that's a good amount. Robbie, are you drinking anything over there? Nope. I'm I'm on green tea and non-alcoholic beer this evening. So uh, and I have my uh, my good old Sam Adams with me. I didn't get to make it to the beer store to see what they got going uh, over there for non-alcoholics these days, but I will I will make it there for for our next episode. Sounds good, buddy. So do you want to do tight end next or do you want to do wide receiver next? Let's hit tight end and I won't steal your thunder. How's that? So that sounds good. Okay. Interrelated. <laughs> so I, I went back and forth on this. So I, I am excited about having Nick Gallo and Drake Dulius this year and coming back and what to see what they do on the field. I will say I'm a little bit hesitant from what I've seen, especially from Gallo, I guess, in prior. There's been a lot of hype, I guess, about him um, at the tight end position. And mostly, there just hasn't been a ton of production, I guess, at least from the receiving side of things. So I am cautiously optimistic. The new scheme that we're going to have, I think, is going to, and I think you've alluded to this as well, that they're going to better utilize the tight ends in the passing game, I think, especially what you're going to address on the wide receiving side of things. So that gives me some some pretty good feelings there. But I, I'm, I'm I'm cautious about getting too hyped about it until I see it out on the field and see it in production because it's been relatively benign is probably the best way to put it over the past. I think we went through what their receiving numbers were the, in the last episode, and it's been good um and i think even um you know drake had some some passes that were dropped that you know went into his hands i think nick had a couple passes that were that were the same that could have been real game changers like 30 35 yard passes that you know were were tough catches that they ended up not pulling down but overall I, i think they are the right talent that we need i think we have you know good starters there in terms of backups there's been some talk about being particularly impressed with the young tight ends. I know Gusnell is out. We just talked about that for the season. Um, but Harrison Germain um, and Daquan Wright uh, are two other young guys that are at tight end. So there's potential to see them out on the field if we need them. I don't know that we necessarily will, given we have a, that experience coming back. But who knows? Maybe they make it on the field and and they show something um, that can get out there and, and maybe more aptitude in in the receiving game or or better blocking if that if that's their their talent. And so it's it's interesting. I think we'll 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 have a good season there, but it might be um, maybe more forced than anything else, just given the depth that we have, maybe at wide receiver, and and obviously it's less than what we would all want with Gallo. With the last staff, he was getting a lot of love, right? Mm-hmm. The Fuente staff always seemed to love yep. Nick Gallo. I wouldn't say this offseason, spring or fall, I've heard much about Gallo. No. I know he's a solid player. Mm-hmm. Solid is the perfect way to put it. And I think playing behind James Mitchell for a while, you know, you're not going to get that many catches. Yep. However, James Mitchell went out pretty early last year. 
And it, he only had 14 catches, I think, was Gallup. Yeah. Burmeister was our quarterback. Corn was our offensive coordinator. It was kind of a mess. So I don't want to judge him too much on that. But the fact that I haven't heard his name too much is the only reason I'm concerned about Gallup. I've heard more about Drake, I think, than I have about Gallup. Yeah. And the one I've heard the most about is Daquan Wright, the the freshman kid. They're saying is mm-hmm. looking good, working a little bit at wide receiver. I think we're going to see Daquan Wright, like especially with the with the Gosnell injury. I think Wright's going to get a shot. Yep. Um. But Blumrick could be that that's, that X factor at tight end, I, right? I did, or wide receiver, and that's a, that's a perfect way to transition yeah. because he's been working at both. Yeah, I did not I did not include Blumrick in the tight end uh, segment. <laughs> I figure you could hit it in, in the wide receiver. Heck, you could probably hit Blumrick in the kicker section if you yeah, want to do you special teams. Every yeah, one. just any position, <laughs> just throw him in there. And that's because Brent Pry put. Blumrick as one of the best 22 players on the team. Yes. That's what he said. And that's that's kind of an insane statement for what seems like is going to be a gadget guy, but but maybe not. You know, we don't have any idea how much they'll use Blumrick. And with these wide receiver injuries we're taking, we just took a tight end injury. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see a lot more of them than we thought. I hope so. Anyway, moving to the wide receivers, you got Caleb Smith, the transfer Jaden Blue, and the spring standout. Day one, it's not Dwayne, it is day one, I've learned, Lofton. And those three guys have separated themselves from the pack. It wasn't too hard to predict that after spring, but it's nice to hear that Smith, Blue, and Lofton are looking pretty good. Blue had 1,000 yards at Temple in 2019, and when he got to campus, he instantly had to deal with the death of his father and then an ankle injury. So he's been through a little bit, but... Apparently, he he is a hard worker and definitely focused and ready to start the season. And now, seemingly healthy, we really need him to step up. Smith has transitioned into a leader. I think he's going to have a big year. Only 20 receptions and 260 yards last year. But keep in mind, Turner and Tavion were gobbling up all the targets. So I'm thinking for for Caleb Smith, if, if the hype is real and he goes out there and performs like he did in the spring game, he can put up 700 yards. Like I, I, I really think even if we're a primarily running team and tossing a lot to the tight ends, I think Caleb is good for 700 yards. Hey, Trey put up 675 with Burmeister. Wow, then, so there you go. if you got a, a wide receiver, a starting wide receiver without a secondary as good as Tavion, mm-hmm. you know, Caleb should get to 700. Yeah, I agree. With regard to Daywan, he was your spring – uh, MVP, I think it was on offense, just 98 yards last year on seven receptions. We've already talked about our terrible offense, so that's that's a little bit of the reasoning for that. But I think he's going to have a big breakout. Brent Prime mentioned Kristen Moss on the last Tech Talk Live. Steven Gosnell transferred from UNC. He's a little bit more of a veteran and Benji's brother. He could make an impact. Jalen Jones, a guy the last staff really loved, haven't heard much about Jalen Jones, but I think Mines would be comfortable putting him out there. It's just that I haven't heard any kind of like hype train on him. And then next up would be the true freshman Tucker Holloway. Maybe he gets a red shirt. Maybe he doesn't. If the injuries mount, he'll probably play. But and finally, if you're talking about <clears throat> Blumrick as a wild card, 
the ultimate wild card is Colbeck. Yes. And and I love the commentary about wanting to see the race between Keyshawn King and Colbeck because everyone thinks Keyshawn could be faster than him. Well, that's why. I, I, that's <laughs> For anybody that didn't pick up on my comment earlier, I said he's no, when I was talking about Keyshawn King, I said he's no white lightning. But, you know, it's, <laughs> the, the, that's right. the competition between those two is uh, it's heating up. I think we got to be able to get that race at some point. They they should have done the race while they were uh, when they went to the lake. That would have been a perfect yes. time to do it. it or like to, media day yes. or something like that. Of course, you don't want a guy to like pull a hammy because they're having a fun race. Like when they're not warmed. That's up. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> then we would all be ripping on the coaching staff. That's true. But the the real question with the wide receivers is who's going to step up from the from the rest of that group, and will they be able to get open? Even if it's Smith, Blue, or Lofton, are they going to be able to get open for Wells? Can they get separation? Because even with Trey and Tavion at times, the the route trees were a mess, but there was not a lot of separation. Mm -hmm. And so that's something we need to see from Fontel Mines as the coach and from the scheme. Can our can our wide receivers get separation and catch that football? I think the the supplement from the tight ends is going to be huge this year. I really think Gallo, Blumrick, Delius, whatever, they're going to be taking targets from the wide receivers because of the scheme. That's that's just a hunch. I know French did an article talking a little bit about this. Uh, he put out an article on the defense and on the offense over the last couple of weeks that you guys can go read on the key play. He always does fantastic work. Um, also on the key play was a piece I read today by Shelton Moss, which was excellent on just the program in general. I would recommend that as well, but that's just an aside. Uh, other positions working at wide receiver were right. I mentioned Blumberg, obviously black mm -hmm. chance black and Keyshawn King was working a little bit at slot receiver. So just something to note there for you guys overall on the offense, Robbie, just, just overall thoughts. You said maybe 15 spots better than the 90 SP plus. Is that where you want to land? Yeah. Well, that's not, I mean, I think that's a minimum where we should land. Okay. Yeah. That we can, yeah, we, we cannot go out and trout a number 90 offense in the country. Like, even there's enough names here that you and I just went through to put something together that's materially better than that. That, that would be a utter disappointment, honestly. So, I mean, Bowen would have a lot of questions to answer yes. if we have the 90th best offense in FBS. I, I know that seems harsh for year one, but with a starting quarterback, an FBS starting quarterback coming in, you really shouldn't be 90th. That should be reserved for first-year starters and worse. And you have two – you have a sixth-year running back. And and Malachi got a, a lot of carries last year. You have two running backs. You have experienced tight ends, Nick Gallo. And Super senior Drake, wide receiver. Yeah. They, like, the offensive line is experienced. There's nothing, there's nothing here where you're trotting out – redshirt freshman to fill fill gaps now if there's injuries okay then let's have a discussion about it but right now we're not at that we're not at that stage yeah i think if the run game is actually legit and there is an emphasis placed on it like they've been saying look at the success of saquon barkley uh sanders at psu brown at psu like they always had a focus on running the football. I would imagine Brett Pry wants to see that. And so if that's true, all, everything will become easier. Joe Rudolph knows how to block for a running offense. We know that. So to me, as long as the O-line, you know, doesn't step on a on a landmine, like we should be able to put up a top top 65 offense. 
That's that's what I'm thinking. That's reasonable. Now, top 50 is like, that's a ceiling to me. It is like the 50 mark just because of the depth issues. And and we don't know what Grant Wells is exactly going to be. Like he's going to be better than Burmeister as a thrower, but he's not a perfect quarterback, right? Otherwise, every school would have wanted him. Um, so 65 is reasonable. That's, that's kind of what I'm, uh, that's what I'm shooting for in my head. Yeah. And, and if you remember, you know, Brent Pry, I mean, um, he came from Joe Rudolph came from Wisconsin. Wisconsin was rolling out and has been good running backs like for a while. If you go back to Monte ball, you know, PJ Hill, like there was, there's been a lot of people that have have gone through there. That that was not what just was the one with the robot noise from Solid Verbal. Oh, um, <laughs> I know who you're talking. Um, he played for the Chargers. I can't think. Yeah, of his name. God. I know. Um, but there, but yeah, there was dozens. Of yeah, them, but my like. my point, and they that was all that that offensive line opened up the ability for those guys for um, those guys to put up just massive rushing numbers um, for almost a stretch of like eight or nine years there. Let's move to defense, Robbie. We got we to gotta keep it moving here. You're one with Pry and Marv running things. You're replacing Barno, Jordan Williams, Tay Daly, and Jermaine Waller. But in all honesty, I don't think that's going to be very difficult. Barno was terrible after the UNC game. Didn't put up production whatsoever. And Waller, after his standout performance against West Virginia, he really had a terrible second half as well. Jordan Williams, solid player, but... DT is maybe our best position on the defense. Yep. And Daly, he was a good player, but with the new safety scheme and and the move around, you've got Chamari back playing strong safety. Yep. So, like, I'm, we're not going to miss Tay Daly as much as we would have if, if Fuente was here another year. So I, I'm not worried about the guys we lost. We're bringing back a ton of vets. This is this is a fun group. Why don't you get us going with the, uh, the DBs? Yeah, we'll start in the back. So... Um, cornerback Dorian Strong um, has been talked about a lot by the coaches and just having an awesome uh, off center and he's going to be critical. He's going to be playing um, field side uh, cornerback for us. So that is locked in opposite to him on the boundary side is what you alluded to early, which is one of the kind of few remaining battles and slots to be as, as far as I read up on today still has not been, kind of selected as a starty starter between Armani Chapman um, and Brian Murray. And so that will be interesting. I think that's kind of coming down to the final hours of it. But if whatever shakes out there, we know that we have three really solid um, guys at corner. So that, that makes me feel really good about it, regardless of who wins out between Murray and, and Chapman uh, behind those guys. Um, DJ Harvey uh, is somebody else that you know could stand in to kind of round out four guys in the position. So I think we're we're pretty solid uh, at the cornerback spot. And then Shamari Connor, um, as you well mentioned, a strong safety. So that's in, also in pretty good shape. You basically got a starting four that have been in this program, very experienced. Um, whether it's Chapman or it's it's Murray. You, you got a good core four, and then you got Nazir Peoples back there as well. So it's really, you can probably go six guys, seven guys deep on here and have pretty good experience um, all in the back end of, uh, of this defense. So well, I feel really good about it. 
it's it's really impressive the amount of experience in this secondary. It's I think every guy has like twenty plus starts. Like of the of the main guys you named, yeah. they've all played a ton. Chamari especially, and with Pearson Prelu, mm-hmm. former Tech great NFL guy, coaching our safeties now. That has safety play has been god awful yeah. for like two or three years, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Fuente was here, and and some of that was on Jayham too because he was coaching the safeties, and they didn't look good under him. And then when he moved to DC, they still looked bad. So I think having Prelude back there is huge. Having Connor and Peoples, I love Peoples, and I love Connor. Those mm-hmm. guys are solid duo. Dorian Strong, to me, is going to be an all-ACC player. It might be third team. It might be second team. Mm-hmm. But he, he's he been getting tons of praise, and I pegged him last year as a guy who could be all-ACC. Yep. But I just don't think the coaching was very good. Right. And I, I think he had talked a little bit about getting complacent, Dorian Strong did. Mm-hmm. He's back and focus this year, yep. I think he's going to have a, an amazing year. Based on Brent Pry's praise of him, like I think Dorian Strong's ready to, to break out. Yep. I think Chamari could be all ACC. Mm-hmm. Now, Murray or Chapman, the lights never quite come all the way on for either of those guys, but they've always shown promise. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm comfortable. They're, they're veterans. I'm comfortable. DJ Harvey playing nickel and as like the next up, also feel really good about him. He he was a talented guy. One, I think in our one recruiting class, he was the top recruit, yeah. or at least the top one that's left, or something like that. So, yeah. uh, he'll be returning kicks for us too. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But he's talented, yeah. very athletic. He has a chance to be a good corner for us as well. So, you throw in Stroman backing things up, Hawkins backing things up. Love the secondary. Could be our strongest unit on the team. Yep. Really, really strong. I'll go into linebackers here. And this this position, you want to talk depth. I mean, you brought back Dax, Tisdale, Artis, Ferguson. Jenkins was on the team last year. Keller was on the team last year. Now, neither of those guys played very much, mm-hmm. but, like, that's a, that's a lot of guys for three spots. And I haven't even mentioned Lawson or, or, or I think Walker's playing Sam now, mm-hmm. too. So there, there's a lot of talent here. Dax is going to be our starting Mike. He's the heart of the defense from a leadership standpoint. We're waiting for him to make that final, you know, step and just shed blocks, get to the ball, play with confidence. We talked about him trying to cut down weight. Hopefully he does. He's a little bit quicker this year and can do all the things I just said. Dean Ferguson, Keyshawn Artis are the depth pieces. Artis at times played really well. I think he was, he was all over the place on the field. You would see his number like everywhere. So. Yeah, he having him as a depth piece, either at Mike or Will or whatever, is is fantastic. The Will linebacker is our last question mark. And Jaden Keller, by all accounts, seems like he's going to be the starter. He's the next great linebacker at Virginia Tech. How soon he's the starter, I don't know. But I think it could be ODU. <laughs> like he, <laughs> he may very well be a starter for ODU above Alan Tisdale, who was, again, one of our top four tacklers last year. Yeah. Um. And Tisdale isn't a bad player. No. We talked about – you said he was a black box. It was the perfect way to describe mm-hmm. him. Like, the light hasn't come on for him either. He's a good depth piece, and I'm excited about it. But Keller is the one – when you start thinking about dominant Virginia Tech teams, you need that uber-talented linebacker, and Keller could be that guy in 6'3", 223. That's a big linebacker, but light enough to really still have the speed. I, I can't wait to see what he can do. Keonta Jenkins – 
That was the guy we said Pry was extremely comfortable with. He's playing the hybrid safety spot, that Sam spot. Pry was excited about him having like the tools of a DB while playing linebacker. And we know that our linebackers have struggled in coverage the last few years. It's been a huge problem. And hopefully that'll change with Jenkins. Kelly Lawson is also playing Sam. And you want to talk about size, six foot six. He's working a little bit at will, and he got banged up in camp, but Lawson has some some serious potential. And they said he put on at least 12 pounds over the offseason. Jenkins and Walker are also working at both positions, Sam and Will. And they said Connor's even working at Sam a little bit too because that's hmm. kind of the closest to what he was playing last year right. in Whip. So I do like how Pry is already planning for depth issues yep. just in case the worst happens. He's got guys backing up all over the place, but linebacker is extremely deep. I I hope that you're ex- as excited as I am about these young kids. No, I am, and I think it's going to be – it'll be interesting to see who, who wins out. Um, and, at the end of, and just to give some people that depth, I just think is so critical that, that we're not marching people out there if they're not healthy to be able to actually rely on some people and – and to rotate people. I mean, maybe somebody needs to go into a new position. We've had had some success with that in the past, and I think um, and not enough of it uh, at times. And Brent Pry, I think, is going to be able and is already planning, like you said, for either depth issues or just having the flexibility to move people around to try and get the best bodies on the field um, and the best athletes on the field. All right, let's move to D-line. This is one of your positions, Robbie. So. Yep. Tell me how you feel about that front four. Yeah, we'll start with um, defensive tackle from the middle. And so we got Pollard, uh, Kendricks, and Fuga at defensive tackle. So I think we got Pollard. That's a known quantity. Uh, he's been with the program. He's been productive. Um, I think I feel really solid about him. Between Kendricks and Fuga, I feel good about Kendricks probably the most, and Fuga I think is is good to have in there for for some depth because you drop behind um, those three guys. I think it falls off precipitously, but I think there's some more talent um, kind of up and coming there. So you have um, Penne who's been on the in the program, um, but Mamudi. And then Gunder Givens, who everybody is very excited about, kind of the future of um, as well. Um, I think the starters I feel good about. I feel like we have a decent amount of depth, but I'm hoping we don't have to fall down into kind of that second tier um, in in the center. When you move over to defensive end, you got Garbett and Jalen Griffin, obviously. Um, but in addition to those two who have also been in the program and we know you have Cole Nelson and CJ McCray. Um, supposedly some of the young guys have, have been stepping up to provide some depth there at the defensive end. We need to, in, in summary, I feel good about the rush um, defense um, and being able to, to stop the run. I am a little bit more skeptical just because we haven't seen it as of late about the pass rush and what we're going to see there. Just that pressure on the quarterback, the ability to convert into sacks, um, even when getting pressure, not just getting to the quarterback, but being able to bring them down um, and really making people uncomfortable in the pocket, I think is that's where, you know, I, I am skeptical that all of a sudden from Garbett and Griffin, we're going to see them come out in the field and, all of a sudden we're going to have a really solid pass rush. 
Um, but I feel like I, you know, the run the run defense should be relatively st- strong between you know our starting four. Yeah, I'm with you on all that, and I, with regard to the pass rush, we only had 25 sacks last year. That was 83rd in FBS. That has to improve. Now, two years ago, it was a little bit better. I think we had like 36, but you're getting about two sacks a game. That's not really enough. Yeah. Like we, we need to have more production, more pass rush, more consistency in that area. And I actually feel better about Nelson and McCray getting to the quarterback potentially than I do about Garden, Garbit, and Griffin just because we've seen those guys. Yeah. We've seen them not be able to get to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe – with Prize coaching and Marv's coaching and J.C. Price working with these guys, they'll be better, and they will get to the quarterback. But everything I've heard about Nelson McCray is like they're the ones getting the hype. Yep. They're the ones being talked about more. And so I'm I'm hoping that that's real because we need Cole Nelson to be good. Yes. We need C.J. McCray to be good because there's not a ton of uh, – older guys like everyone else is like freshmen yeah so I mean, that's why we brought in pain and you know yeah and then he he goes out with the achilles which sucked but as for the freshmen though moisten and burgos they they were called impressive and they've been getting a little bit of hype but you know they're probably still at least one of them's getting a red shirt mm-hmm. right and may probably both and so we need garbit and griffin and nelson and mccray to be good we need them to be good we need them to get pressure ease things up for those linebackers in the secondary but if Pride did say he feels good about the depth on D-line and that it was one of our better positions, so I'm going to roll with that and be optimistic. But we, we've we seen this defensive line struggle yep. for the better part of three, four years, and we need Saxburg back, right? Yep. And it, it was not was not there last year. And we've also seen them struggle when they start to get gassed. That's been one of the big issues as well is, you know, we haven't had any depth um, at that position then. And I know when people are running, hurry up offenses, sometimes you can't even get them off the field anyway, but we've had times where, you know, those guys have been out there for multiple long drives and it's kind of piled up it's not just been there's been time to get them off the field but they just don't feel comfortable with somebody else in there and then it's gotten it's gotten really sloppy um yeah so hopefully um that that comfort is also with some of the depth of the guys that we're mentioning here all right let's do the defense overall then we got veterans everywhere we should improve over last year with with Pry, I'm saying that mainly because of Pry and his defensive expertise and a new defensive coordinator in Chris Marv, who is an up-and-comer. In a lot of ways, Marv is similar to Jayham, just in terms of experience. However, instead of coaching at UVA-wise prior to Virginia Tech, he was at Florida State. So there's a little bit more of a, of a record there of uh, being a solid defensive coach. We have given up 35 points in 20 of our last 50 games. Wow. That is completely outrageous. It was only three times last year, but if you go back to 2018, we've given up 35 points in 20 of 50 games. That is completely ridiculous. That's 40% of the games. Wow. That needs to only happen twice a year or less. Like we like we just got our teeth kicked in by Maryland. I mean, they scored yeah. 56 points on us. Like that cannot happen while Brent Pry is at Virginia Tech. We need to get back to the 30 sacks. We need that physicality, that toughness back that I talked about at the beginning. Like, you see BC, you see NC State, 
there are certain teams around the country, Wisconsin, that just always play tough. That's how they exceed their recruiting rankings in terms of performance on the field. We need that back. That's what we used to have, and I need to see that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think the DBs will be good, very good. The linebackers will be improved. And the DL, especially on the inside, I think will stop the run, and, and they have so much potential. The S&P Plus, I think it came in, what, 30, 31 mm-hmm. for the preseason ranking? Um, I think top 35 for, for this defense would be outstanding yeah. if we were able to be top 35 in the S&P Plus. Mm-hmm. And then I think we should be in the top third of the ACC. So five or six spot, something like that. I think that's doable for this defense. It, it should be. I mean, if you – there is so much – now. you know, I know people – some people only care for it, and some people only want to bag on the whole returning starters and number of starts returning. Kind of, if you're returning starters that aren't very good, what does that really mean? Uh, kind of the the counter argument that people make. There is enough depth in addition to just having returning starts here that I think with these battles going on for these positions, the right guy should be out there. I mean, that in on the field that has the talent to, it's not just the, it's not just 11 guys that we just rattled off. We just rattled off almost like 28 guys that have had serious reps at, in Virginia tech uh, on the defense defensive side of the ball. So that that's what gives me more confidence is, is not necessarily banking on just one name. Um, because I don't know that we have on this entire defense that one name that we don't have a Fuller, we don't have an Edmonds, like we don't have a guy on this defense that you're like, yeah, it, that's Tremaine. He, we're, he is gonna be amazing. That that's you know Kyle Fuller, that's Kendall Fuller. That's you know you don't go there with these names, but that's why the depth I think is so important of the number of starts you have to make sure whoever wrote, whatever the cream is that rises to the top of all these guys is going to be pretty good. We don't have a defensive all ACC player preseason. Yeah. I mean that that is so unusual for Virginia Tech. Like that's what you're yep. talking about. Yep. Maybe Dorian Strong, maybe Chamari Connor, maybe Dax Hollifield will make an all ACC team. Maybe Norrell Pollard, but there's not a star. It's going to be a team effort and you talked about the returning starts. They are there, and that's why Bill has us at 31 in the SP Plus going into this year. But we were 92nd in yards per play last year. 92nd. Yeah. It, it, there's there's work to be done. We are we are hoping and praying that the pry boost will improve this defense because we know that he knows how to coach defense and has done so top 25 defense at Penn State basically every year. That's what we're counting on to take these veterans and take them to the next level with his coaching mostly. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do our – I think we're doing schedule predictions now. Oh, I'm sorry, special teams. Let's let's get this in real Come quick. Come on now. Oh, man, that could have been bad. <laughs> the kicker is Will Ross. He's a South Carolina transfer, and he has beaten out love to be the kicker. Um, sounds like he's a good guy. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say, but I love that there was some competition between some scholarship guys. And that uh, and that will won the job. Peter Moore, he's an All ACC candidate. He's a captain. You were talking about his hang time. He's trying yeah. to take his punts like up three to four yards in net this year from thirty nine to forty two. 
I'm hoping that's that's true, and I think he will. At punt return, we got Harvey and Lofton. So Lofton is our our potential breakout wide receiver, and then Harvey is the guy who's the next up at corner. So two really good athletes playing punt return. Do you remember two years ago, punt return was a disaster, like really, really bad. Everyone we put back there muffed it. We even put James Mitchell back there at one point. Well, last year, Tavion redeemed himself a bit, but we need to keep that momentum going. I think Harvey, Harvey's probably the top choice, and I think I'd rather see him playing just because we have more depth at corner than hurting Lofton playing punt return. And then as for kick return, we got King, speedster and chance black the younger kid but maybe cole beck's gonna work in there too so having the idea of having king and beck on either side returning those two kicks with both of their speeds that that's really fun all right 2022 predictions here robbie we've waited a long time to give our our record predictions do you want me to go first or for you to go first i kind of want kind of want you to go first I'll just rip the band-aid off. Seven and five. I think I tweeted that out of uh, maybe after the spring or just before that it's looking like a seven and five team to me. Reviewing the schedule, I feel more comfortable with that just because I, I feel like there are five very, very good opportunities for wins. You you talked about them earlier. Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, ODU, and Wofford, right? Like I feel good about winning those five games. We might not, but the odds are in our favor for those ones. So you just have to get two more out of the remaining seven, some of which are at home, some of which are against teams that are close to us in the preseason rankings. So I feel good about seven and five. We have, did not discuss this, and I did not see your tweet. Um, so I also have seven and five. So I went through and I did my wins and losses for everything. I did my wins and losses, and I came up with – because looking at the schedule, I came up with eight and four because I had ODU win. I had Wofford win. I had WVU as a win, GT, Duke, Liberty, and UVA. So then I was like, okay, eight and four is not going to work because it just doesn't feel right. Like I don't like, and I was like, you're just going to take one off. I was, yeah. <laughs> so then I was like, I got to give myself an L somewhere. And I gave us an L against BC just because it's early in the season. Um, and I just, I just didn't see, you know, I know it's at home. I mean, but BC's just going to be solid. They're, they're a solid team. Jerkovich yeah. is good quarterback. He's man. a good quarterback. And I still think there's going to be some, like, just kind of early growing that this team's going to need to do with, you know, Pry and the new coaches under the helm. Yeah. And they've got a year ahead of us in that regard with Halfley. So that's right. And Halfley's a good, I mean, people rave about Halfley. It's, um, and granted, he's, you're doing a lot with not much when you're at BC and you're coaching. If you can do anything with that program, just given the lack of support that he has, but uh, people rave about him. They're definitely well coached. Yeah. Schedule's favorable. I think the two hardest games are at Pitt and at NC State. Like those are the ones I feel better about beating Miami at home than I do about beating Pitt on the road. Right. Uh, that's that's how I'd put it. Just because it's a home game and it's kind of. We get up for Miami. We feel like going into a pit game, I'm always pessimistic. Going into a Miami game, I'm always more optimistic. I, agree. I don't know why why that is, but that's what but that's what 
pit does to you, right? That, you know, you were talking about that attitude, like what that is. So you talk about like the Iowa's have kind of a culture like that. The yes, U- Pitt's another team. Pitt, right? Utah, like those like kind of hard nose, old school. That's that's what they do. They want you to look at those games and be like, shit. Like I don't yeah. I don't want to go into that rock fight. Like you know that's gonna suck. And that's the difference. Like Miami doesn't have that like culture right now. Like that you like feel like it's gonna be a rock fight game. You think that's not it at all. Um, right. All right, so possibility of Virginia Tech getting to the ACC title game. And I think this will link into <clears throat> the ceiling, right? <laughs> yeah. Because I think the ceiling is 8 and 4. I think it's it's tight this year, right? Like yeah. I think it's it the floor is 5, but the ceiling is 8. Yeah. And so that that's that's at least me. I know some people out there think we can win 9 games and anything's possible, but to me 8 is the ceiling. So what are the odds we can get to the ACC title game with eight wins, you know, like or in general. Yeah, I, I don't want to take away. Way. If you think there's a possibility of nine, I don't want to take it away. No, it's going to be, it's Pitt and Miami. I think I would put it at a 10% chance, maybe a 5% chance. Um, Damn, I don't, I don't have that's a, low. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have very high. No. Even in the crazy coastal, you're not giving us better than a 10% chance? Only, but, well, I mean, our our crossover game is NC State. That's not an easy crossover game. It's not helpful. That, no. that is not helpful. Um, so that does, that's, so let's chalk the NC State game up as a loss, right? So that, that doesn't help. So our other people have got a little cushier crossover on that front. Uh, I would put it at with three teams. Well, let's say if, if it was a if it was just even odds, it would be a thirty three percent chance between us, Miami, and Pitt. Okay, and that's a, so that's putting UVA at a zero percent chance, right? And UNC so, and you and UNC putting them at a zero, which I think their their chances are are pretty low as well. So, yeah, I think fifteen percent is actually kind of pretty good given that there's you know four teams that I think can do it. I don't think UVA has a chance. I think, I don't know where Stu's getting his numbers on UVA, but he has them going like six and he has them going better than us. I don't know if anyone realizes other than, Bud Elliott that they don't have an offensive line. Yeah. I I don't think, I don't think anybody's really been paying attention. So I think 15% is, is realistic actually. So if that gives Pitt and Miami, say Pitt and Miami each have like a 35% chance that puts it them at 70 plus our 15. That's 85%. That gives 15% of uh, for UNC. So it would be like, you know, 30, 30 for Pitt, 30 for Miami, 15 for us and UNC. Uh, you just did so much more math than I, than I did. <laughs> that's hundred like, percent. I, I, I think of it like this. <clears throat> you play this season out X amount of times. <laughs> How many times do you win, okay. right? Yeah. And so for me, I came up, what I wrote down was 25%. Okay. Now, I'm kind of, after hearing your math, <laughs> I'm going to move it to 20. Okay. <laughs> like, play the season out five times. Yeah. I think we win it once. Yeah. Okay? So I'll, I'll put it at 20. Okay. Okay. I, once I see, once I see, then? once I see Grant Wells actually 
throw a pass on the field. Yeah, we need to see what this he goes complete. Like, yeah, he might be. He could throw if he throws a touchdown first, first, and I think he's Chad Pennington right from the, <laughs> the start. Then uh, there we go. Well, what happens? And and it's always about the swings, right? Too like you beat BC. And then it's like, oh, we just got an ACC win under our belt. Like then the math starts to change, yes, right? That's <laughs> right? Yeah, it changes very quickly. The odds update fast. So, what's your pick then to win the coastal? Who's going to win the coastal? Pitt won it last year, right? Yep, they won the whole conference. I know. Oh, I can't. I can't. Oh, I have to pick Pitt. I can't pick. I can't pick Miami. You can't do it. I can't do Miami. It's just such a running joke at this point. Like it's just. I know. You would make if you all you did over the last eight years was not pick Miami. You would have made so much money. Like <laughs> just take just the bet odds. on every other team. Yeah. yeah. I I am picking Miami. I'm not ha- proud. Not happy about it. Uh, <clears throat> I just think Tyler Van Dyke, the new coaching staff. They still have a lot of talent on that roster, and I think Cristobal will do a better job of getting the most out of that talent. I'll take Miami because I think Pitt's going to take a big step back. No offensive coordinator, no uh, uh, Kenny Pickett. Like yes. it, It's just a massive change, and that was a lightning-in-the-bottle type year for them. Mm-hmm. I think their defense is still going to be good. I think Slovis will be solid, but no Addison, mm-hmm. no Mark Whipple, yeah, no, no Kenny Pickett. Like. Uh, it's they're, they're going to come down a notch and UNC stinks. UVA stinks. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take Miami. I, I like, I want to take us, but no, like that, I, I know I just gave us a 20% chance. I was, so I was just I thinking about Miami. Narduzzi when he was bitching during his press conference about how their <laughs> offensive coordinator didn't, didn't pass the ball enough. And Kenny yeah. Pickett almost made it to the Heisman. Uh, right. He was there. <laughs> he almost won the Heisman and he just, he's complaining. Like, he is just insufferable. <laughs> that guy. He's so insufferable. Sorry. For those that check out the interview. Yeah. It's Narduzzi was on a, a show. Like a, he was on like a car radio show bitching about their old their offensive coordinator how they're just gonna need to be run first it was just outrageous it's hilarious okay robbie let's do our picks for week zero and a couple Sweet. of the higher profile games in in week one nebraska 13 and a half point favorites against northwestern in your motherland Ireland. Yes. Over, uh, yeah, back in. I'm going to Ireland next year for a golf trip. I'm taking Northwestern because wouldn't it be hilarious? Is, well, wh- why is why is Nebraska a 13 and a half point favorite over anyone after last year? I know. I, I think they still thought that this was UCF maybe and or like UCF versus Northwestern in Dublin or something along those lines. But no. Uh, yeah, Scott Frost has. Uh, he's going to be fired this year. Uh, he's got to do it this year, man. Yeah, or like he's, he's got to do something. Yeah. But yeah, that's such a weird game. Imagining North Nebraska fans and Northwestern fans, uh, although they are slightly more cultured. But Nebraska fans in Ireland is just hilarious. Well, me. like they, when they did it with like Notre Dame, it like made sense and a little like, bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Fighting Irish. Yeah, and, <laughs> and then they were like, "Yeah, you know who else we're going to send over there? Nebraska <laughs> and Northwest." <laughs> Yeah, they should send like Wyoming next year. <laughs> yeah. Something really weird. Uh, all right, next game, Vandy at Hawaii. The only reason we're picking these two games is because they're week zero games. They're weird games, but yeah. we got uh, Barton Simmons and uh, Chris Lee going going to Hawaii. Yeah. They are seven and a half point favorites. Are those Commodores? Yeah, 
I have Vandy, and it ju- my note literally says Vandy because of Barton Simmons. So you, can- <laughs> that's my note on yeah, this. I'm actually taking Vandy as well. If it wasn't clear, I took Northwestern, and I'm taking Vandy now. The two I'm taking the nerd schools to start this thing off. Like uh, West Virginia at Pitt, the backyard brawl. We talked about it earlier. Pitt is number 17. They are seven point favorites at home. I will pick first. I'm taking West Virginia to cover rivalry game. I'll take the points. Uh, I am taking. Well, I guess this it doesn't. It's not really related to my pick to win the ACC because it's out of conference. But I'm taking Pitt. You think they're going to be solid this year? Uh, no, this is this is a real rivalry game. I mean, the fact that they got rid of this for a little while, I think, was bad. But I think, given it's at Pitt, um, I mean, they're the better program, yes, for sure, certainly. And it's at Pitt, so in a rivalry game, I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be juiced for that game, as much as you know that field can be. I think, yeah, I actually do think the formerly known as Heinz, Heinz field. field will be packed. Yeah. I think it will be probably the fullest it's been in a very long time for for yeah. a college football game. Oregon versus Georgia. This is one of the big games. Number eleven, Oregon playing Georgia. I think this is in Atlanta, yeah. <laughs> in the in the Mercedes Benz. Georgia, 17-and-a-half-point favorites over what is essentially a top-10 matchup. This line smells to high heaven. So Oregon's a good team, well-coached. and Well, new coach, young coach from Georgia. Yes, and I I don't – I just don't understand it. Like, Georgia lost – how many players did they lose in the draft? Like, 30? Like, yeah, outrageous. So – in the first game of the season, I'm taking Oregon to cover the spread. I don't think there's a chance in hell they win this game, but for them to lose by 10 or even 14, I think is really you know, almost more likely. Yeah, I think this is this line is based off the odds makers' perceptions of what the fans' perceptions are. Obviously, right. that's what they all are. But Georgia just won the natty. Yeah. And I don't think people as many people – know that they lost more than a side of the ball to to the draft and so i and i know they're super talented but i'm taking oregon to cover like you said i don't think they'll win but i'm taking them to cover utah at florida this is such a weird game and i love it weird number seven utah playing an unranked florida utah only two and a half point favorites on the road this is a stinky line you want to talk about stinky Mm -hmm. i i'm going to take utah Mainly because of Billy Napier's press conferences. They weren't like the most uh, confidence-inspiring for the for the Florida faithful. So I'm going to go with Utah to cover and maybe cover big, but the line stinks, so yeah. I wouldn't bet this for real. This is... This is a scary one. I'm choosing Utah because I'm just I'm a I'm a Utes fan this this season. I'm hoping they go a long way. But yeah, Napier. Napier might get fired before the season starts with uh, the Florida fans have already turned on him just based on press conferences. You want to talk about well, they're going to have to fire a lot of support staff. Did you see that picture? <laughs> yes, it's huge. There was like they took a there was a team picture of the Gators. There was more staffers than players yeah. in the picture. Yeah. It was like 114 to 110 or something like that. Yeah, there was like there's like a fluffer in there. <laughs> there's a million people. It was people. insane. Yeah, yeah, like what are all those guys doing? There has to be fluffers. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> all right, last one we're going to pick. This will be of interest in the Dowling has- household. 
We got number five, Notre Dame, at number two, Ohio State. Ohio State, big 15.5-point favorites at home. This is this is in Columbus, right? Yeah. Um, it's in the shoe. Against a top-five team in, in Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. It's a big matchup. I have Notre Dame losing this by, like, 14. So Okay. I... I, Tough I, spot for the new coach, man. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that yeah, I I have Notre Dame losing by like fourteen, which puts me in a weird spot because it's a home game for Ohio State, so that that would be like on a neutral field. Notre Dame loses, so this is at home, and Notre Dame's got a new coach. I'm gonna stick with my gut. I'm gonna say Notre Dame. They can keep it, you know, around fourteen, something like that. But it's that makes it tight. It's a fifteen and a half point spread. This strikes me as one of those like early Ohio State games where it's twenty four nothing in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, like they just the Death Star is fully operational and they're just scoring at will, like they did a couple years ago. Yeah, but then you can see. I'm going to take Ohio cover. State to cover. What about the back door? You don't think the Notre? They let the, I mean, back that in? is that's a fair thought. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I, you know, what I'm doing with Notre Dame. I am zigging where others are zagging with Marcus Freeman, and it, it might burn me. I like I like Marcus Freeman. I like yeah. the idea of Marcus Freeman, but he's 35 years old. He's in charge of arguably the biggest brand in college football. A little bit of a meteoric rise for him to be mm-hmm. the head coach of that program so young. I don't know if he's really ready for it. I know he's recruiting like crazy. That is not coaching. Yeah, I was going to say, he's he's recruiting better than Notre Dame has ever in the entire history. of <laughs> Which is insane because yeah. they've always recruited. Yeah. It's, it's so, crazy. yeah, he's doing an amazing job. But playing Ohio State in the shoe when it's a top five matchup, oh, yeah. if he covers, if Marcus Freeman covers, I will change my tune on him. All right. Like right it. off the bat. I like right off the bat. Because this is a really tough spot. Yeah. And just in case uh, my wife listens to this, I am picking Ohio State to win. I'm just having Notre Dame <laughs> covering the spread. Again. Nice. All right, man. That's going to do it for this season preview of the podcast. I, uh, gosh, I can't wait. Yeah. I read after I read some of the stuff on the key play. I read like ten Andy Bitter articles today. Uh, I was, I'm so ready for ODU. Like I, I cannot wait for nine two. It's going to be. Hopefully fun. <laughs> Hopefully so much fun. First and foremost. And not like it was in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, but, uh, avoid the embarrassment. I'm jacked up, dude. Yeah, I think it'll be – I think it's going to be really good. I I, I'm, I don't like going on the road to play that game, but uh, I am excited for it. Definitely. All right. You will get a ODU preview from, from us early next week, so keep an eye out for that. But until then – Go Hokies.